Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we have guest Paul Foley. Along with being a serial entrepreneur and Colorado angel investor, he's the director at Rockies Venture Club and the co-founder and CEO of Smart Capital. Some great advice here for aspiring entrepreneurs, startup executives, and co-founders. I really enjoyed my conversation with Paul, and I think you will too. Paul Foley on the Rider Flex podcast. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's a good right. Thursday. Yeah, it is. Happy Thursday. Are you in Boulder today? Uh, Denver. You're so in Denver? We, uh, we office right next to uh, the Rocky Stadium here in, uh, here in Denver. Oh, nice. Okay. Very awesome. good. Now, now you're, you're a native, aren't you? Did you grow up here? Yep. Uh, so born in Boulder, uh, grew up in Louisville, and then spent my first 18 years here, and then went to Michigan, uh, spent some time in Austin, and then came back. So before, tell us about your family a little bit. Are you, uh, do you have any siblings? Uh, nope. So only child. So okay. All right. spoiled with attention. So, what your, did your folks do? Uh, so my mom was a project manager for Storage Tech, uh, which is a, it was a, basically a, a storage company uh, in Louisville. And then my dad ran a Colorado printing and paper company. So my was dad- it, Was it his or was he a partner or owner? Yeah, so he actually started it uh, the year I was born. So he was uh, working for a large paper company in South Denver and driving down every day. And okay. then he actually, there was the owner of the company, but my dad was kind of the operator of it and then when i was born he didn't want to keep that commute's like a two-hour commute and mm. didn't want to keep doing that every day and then also boulder and north colorado was kind of expanding so he kind of took the same kind of model and then provided paper and paper supplies to kind of the north denver um oh, up to okay. like fort collins area okay yeah. so now so the entrepreneurial bug is that where it came from you saw your 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 dad and some of that is that is that where that started yeah i was cheap labor and my cheap freak. So during summers, I was uh, helping with all the paper deliveries, and he was explaining how all the business worked and very so good driving me around to clients and all that stuff. So yeah, it definitely rubbed off. And was he? I'm just curious. Uh, as a business owner, what was his specialty function? Was he great at was sales his expertise or was operations like? How would you rank his his functional bucket buckets? I'm wondering. I'm wondering how that applied to you as you were growing up. Yeah, so uh, it was interesting because it was kind of like a lifestyle business before Tim Ferriss and lifestyle businesses were cool. Okay. He, uh, he had an MBA in accounting from CU Boulder. So okay. he was able to do all the finance stuff. And so he was able to understand how to operate a business from like a cash flow perspective. All right. And then he's also a very social person. So he was able to get um, a lot of kind of connections and, and uh, get indoors and stuff like that. So it was interesting because it was never more than I think like two or three people. He had a, a, he had a printing facility which would print all the products, but then he would be the one to deliver it and take the orders and manage that area. And okay. so kind of like for the 20 years of operating it, he just kind of was able to make pretty good money on it and just keep growing. So that's, or that's, keep, keep doing it. So it was interesting. It was kind of, he, he was the dad that was, well, he'd take me to all those things, but he's also like my soccer coach and he okay. worked from home and he did all that. So he was like always around too, which was great. Cool, cool. Well, you know, you're right, though. Most of the time, the finance guys, the number guys, they're not necessarily the most personable. <laughs> so, so that's great. Okay, so he had the, the, the great personality, plus he could run the numbers. How about your mom? Now, was she an introvert, extrovert? Like, what, what was her style? I'm just curious. She was more introverted, uh, super hard worker. Um, she's very detail-oriented. Okay. Um, everything okay. Was, uh, so her job was kind of implementing uh, tech systems at uh, Storage Tech. Okay. So everything was like a process and there was always like routines. So it was a very routine driven household. Okay. All right. Very, <laughs> very, very good. By this time, wake up by this time, breakfast at this time, wake up by this time. <laughs> she's she's going to be listening to this and she's going to go, now I wasn't that, that strict. And you're going to be like, yeah, you were. <laughs> no, she, no, she was. She's yeah. 
Italian mother that was, yeah. <laughs> Is that right? She's Italian. Was your dad Italian too? Uh, Irish. Irish, so, Irish, Italian. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Very yeah. good. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. How did you choose Michigan? Um, so that was interesting. So the, so my dad actually kind of gave me an ultimatum where he said he would pay for college if I got into a top five engineering school. And I actually think he didn't think I was going to get it. Well, uh, now, now, did he want you to be an engineer or you wanted to be an engineer? I wanted to be an engineer. So I was really good at math. Okay. Uh, it was funny. I like, I always excelled in math and science, but I was never very good at, well, I didn't focus on writing and, and reading. So okay. I always leaned towards more um, analytical stuff. So uh, anyway, the, um, he, he was kind of like, he wanted me to go to CU and obviously CU is an in-state school and I would have gotten some scholarships and things like that. So yep. he yep. said, if I wanted to go out of state, um, which I did, cause I, I grew up in Louisville, which is right next to Boulder. Yeah. I like didn't want to just go down the street for college. I wanted to kind of expand. Yeah, of course, of course, you, of course you want to get away from the parents a little bit, party a yeah, little exactly. bit. I mean, it's like, come on, I want to, I want to, I want to meet some, some new people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't want to be like, partying at CU and then all of a sudden see my parents. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Plus, I mean, hey, Michigan engineering, I mean, come on, let's, yeah, that's awesome, right? Except for the winter, right? I mean, you thought winters were bad here. When you got up there for the winter, were you like, oh, shit, this is... Uh... Yeah, actually, it was, uh, it was kind of surprising because, to your point, Colorado's cold, like, obviously. Yep. And so I didn't think there would be much transition. I think the first one was, was very surprising, and it was more because of the sun. Right, the sun goes away in Michigan. Right. It's blizzard, but then it'll be sunny the rest of the day. Whereas in Michigan, you kind of just don't see the sun for like three months-ish. Yes. Um, Oof, wow. You went to the football games? Yeah, all the time. That was like, oh. Saturdays were for football games. You would 100,000 people, you were there. 110,000. Largest <laughs> stadium um, in NCAA football. Wow. Okay, yeah, I bet that was intense. I bet that was so much fun. I mean, you could you probably lots of memories from Michigan, right? Oh, I loved it. I and mean, that's why I, that's why I, I kind of picked it because we talked about like a top five engineering school, but it was also one of the most more social um, places you can go to. I don't think oh. I would have done very well if I went to more of a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, all right. Now, as you're going through school, do you know? Yeah, I mean, you'd, you probably have no idea what you really want to do at that point, do you? Uh, no. So actually, and one of the things I credit Michigan for is the first year for engineering, you're not supposed to declare a major. So okay. they actually have a class where you, you go and you, you have aerospace, mechanical, industrial operations. And I initially went in thinking I was going to be aerospace because I really was fascinated by space. And I, I thought it'd be really cool to do that. But um, when I started taking classes, they would, they would give you class, like mini classes in each one. And I realized I wasn't anywhere near as excited as some of the other aerospace engineering folks. Okay. And I really kind of gravitated more towards, um, more towards business, but like a mathematical type business. So it was, I okay. chose industrial and operations because it, it was, this was before machine learning and all the hype around it, but it was a lot of math, stats, and statistics, and that gets used kind of in machine deep learning now. So. Okay. Okay. Now, and while you were there, any, uh, you know, social, like super close relationships, you know, girlfriends, whatever. I mean, like anybody like you're like almost, you know, anything crazy or you're just like, no, nah, you just had a good time the whole, the whole time you were there. Uh, I just had a pretty good, I was pretty single throughout. my. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You can tell me about all, you can tell me about all those when we. My choice. It was. Uh... Okay, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'll meet for beers, uh, and you can tell me that. Tell me those stories. Okay, very good. Uh, and did you... the, the same kind of um, crew for the three years I was there. So we had our okay. freshman year dorm experiences, and then we kind of jumped around houses. It was um, it was our sophomore year. It was, it was seven guys in a house, and so I never joined a frat because it was like a mini one of those. Already. So seven seven guys in a house. I can yeah. I'm having I'm having visuals right now. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about all the good times you guys had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, very good. All right, so you graduate. Then, yep. then, what, then you, uh, you land a, a, a job with one of the big consulting firms, I believe, right? Talk to me. Yeah, exactly. So I, I joined Deloitte Consulting. They came to the campus and recruited you, I'm guessing? They had a recruiter. Is that how they signed you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, they recruit hard. And so it's actually, I, I landed uh, the job, I think, in my like, first or second month of senior year. So oh, senior great. year became like, a huge, like, Ton of fun. Um, Deloitte, so I actually, so, yeah. So I, hold on, I got a visual. You're a, yeah. se you're a senior, 
you know everybody, you're having a great freaking time. You land the job at Deloitte, you're like, you're set, right? You're having, like, you're, you're like, <laughs> it was fun, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I'm set. I'm gonna have a good time the rest of the year. That's so, that's awesome. Okay, very good, good for you, by the way, and congratulations. I, I'm kind of joking around, but that's a big deal, right? I mean, first of all, to get into Michigan, engineering degree, Deloitte comes to the campus, recruits you. I mean, that's not a small thing. So, congrats. Okay, cool. Oh, all thank right. you. Yep. Then what happened? Then you, so you go to work for them. Yep. Uh, I do not like it. So I, I chose Deloitte because it was kind of like a general option. Right. So I was, I was in this weird mix where uh, imagine 2011. So 2009, the, uh, basically the markets had crashed. Uh, yes. Detroit specifically had gotten, so 45 minutes away, had gotten slammed yep. um, by this kind of, they were actually, I think, in a depression where the rest of the country was in a recession. Um, and so, and, and I, I was like the major I was in was kind of math related to finance. So I was always thinking I was going to be an iBanker or, or something like that. And I chose Deloitte because at Deloitte, they were saying, oh, we have technology consulting practices. You're going to be exposed to a lot of cutting edge, um, tech that these kind of enterprises use. Okay. So I thought that was cool. And then I show up to Deloitte and then my project is implementing SAP, which is like a legacy technology and like from 20 years ago. Boring. So Bo it was kind boring. of boring. Yeah, it was super boring. And so I actually left within seven months to join a startup. Um, no. I, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. The startup, yeah, go ahead. Walk us into that. Because I think it was somebody you knew or a friend of yours or something. Go ahead. Yeah, so it was actually a friend at Michigan who um, joined IBM. Okay. And then actually left within, I think it was like two or three months to join the startup. And okay. uh, I had moved from Michigan to Austin to join Deloitte. And he came out there to kind of do business development. It was a uh, it was an iPad customer loyalty software. We okay. sold, it's called Belly. We sold into small businesses. Um, but he had actually moved from Chicago and had left IBM in Chicago. Um, started in Chicago with the founder. He was like the second employee. And then he came out to Austin where I was. And he was like, he, we, we met up at Whole Foods. And he was like, do you like Deloitte? And I was like, man, I don't know about this. He's like, I left IBM. He's like, you should join the startup with me. We can like build out Austin. Okay, uh, now hold on. Now hold on. You, you guys didn't meet at Whole Foods. You met on 6th Street at Austin at a bar. And that's where he talked to you. In the <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I was like, Come on. Uh, all right. Because all right, he's like, come on. He's like, come on, man. Come help me join this. And you're like, uh, well, how do we get paid? Let me guess. The next thing he said was, well, we're not actually getting paid yet. Come on. It'll be fun. Right? See, the, the, the courting process took around a month. And it was a lot of going out to 6th Street for that month. Because he was, he was in Austin. I was in Austin. Okay. Um, and obviously, we had been friends in Michigan. So he, um, the reason I joined is actually they raised a million dollars from Lightbank. Oh, oh, sweet. Okay. All right. So people actually were getting, they were actually getting paid then. They were taking a salary. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, and also it was growing quick. So one of the things Great. that uh, Belly did a really good job of was initial distribution into these small businesses. So I kept that month, I kept seeing it everywhere. And Alex and Patrick who were down there were doing a great job of getting it out there. So I was like, okay, like this is viable. Get, I'll get paid. Okay. Not as much as I was at Deloitte, but still get paid. So when, you, like, when you called your dad and you said, hey, I'm giving up this big job at Deloitte to join a startup, what do you say? Just curious. Uh, so my dad kind of shrugged. My dad didn't really like react to it. My mom was, my mom's very risk adverse, right? Okay. So my dad started his own company. Right. Doing ups and downs. Right. Yeah. Um, I think if he were to do it again, he probably would have tried to start it earlier. And my mom was kind of the more like stay in a corporate job for 10, 20 years and then you can go. Start something, so I think she was really against it, right? Okay, okay, right. yeah, yeah. You're like, by that time, you're like, I'm doing this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was just kind of like, I'm in Austin, you're back in Boulder, like, <laughs> all right, all right, cool. So, all right, so you join them now. When you joined, I don't know how much, how much you want to share with me, but when you joined, was it early enough for you to be like a co founder or a major equity holder, or were you kind of too late for that? I don't, I don't know. I, no, so it wasn't a it wasn't a co-founder role. It was it was I think I was in play eighteen or nineteen. Okay. So you get like a small amount of options. So you you own like percentage or point of percentage of a company. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's kind of more you get upside if the company does well, but you're not yeah. at that stage where you're. Okay. Um, what I really liked about it though was the amount of responsibility. Um, so the way you can imagine this is there's eighteen people. There's Chicago is the headquarters. Uh, there's a Wisconsin kind of um, like team two or three people and then there's an Austin team um, okay. and so like in Austin there's three of us so we got a and the whole mission was just sell belly iPads and support the customers in Austin so we, we could make up marketing campaigns we could host parties we could figure out sales strategies it was it was 
like a ton of responsibility and I was 22, 23 at that time. Love it. That, that was really cool. Yeah. Love it. Were, were you sales marketing strategy? Were you were kind of doing all of it? Yeah. It was like, we did, we did everything. So it was sales marketing, all that. Yeah. You're, you, you're knocking on doors. You're like, Hey, you want to buy this? Hey, you guys need yeah, this. You're literally walking in, imagine a coffee shop and you're walking in, you're going up to the cashier and you're saying, Hey, like you would always be like, are you the owner? Cause that would flatter the whoever's at the front. And they'd be like, Oh no. And then it'd be like, Oh, we have this cool iPad. We sell like customer loyalty stuff. And you like show it to them. And then you'd be like, um, we're in this, like the store across the street. Like, yep. uh, can we yep. talk to your aunt or owner or whoever? And then you would get the meeting and you try to sell them on the product and get them to try it and all that. But I think what, what's really cool there, if we can just pause for a minute, you know, I think a lot of people that, that know you or they think they know you yeah. or they look, or they look you up online, you know, they see the Paul Foley today, right? Rocky Ventures Club and all the stuff going on. And, and they, they forget like, like, hey, hey bro, uh, I knocked on doors. I was door-to-door sales in Austin. Like I, I, I lived the shit. Like I didn't just wake up and, you know, be this right. person I am today. <laughs> right. Oh, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, there was a lot of hustle in there. A lot of hustle, a lot of hustle in that, those early days. Okay, by the way, were you guys not, probably weren't making very much money, right? I'm guessing you were not paying yourselves yeah. very much. It was like, uh, so like imagine a, a, like a low base and then based on your sales, you would get like yeah. a, okay. like a high salary if you did really well. I'm having fun. You're 22. You're in Austin. You're, you're knocking down sales deals. You're, you're like, yeah, this, totally. this, this is great. I, I, I was still living in like a, a pretty nice apartment, um, like on South Congress in Austin. So I was like right next to the Bat Bridge, if you're familiar with Austin. Yeah, cool. And, uh, it was, it was like fine it, for like a 22 year old. I think I was, yeah, it was great. That's the time too to, I think. I'm not going to discourage anyone from starting a company at any time, but I, I think a lot of younger people kind of don't realize that you have these years after college that you can kind of do a lot of experiment, like kind of figuring out what to do. Yep. You um, can take, you take to, yep. You can take more risks. There's not like three uh, little kids at home waiting for you to feed them and pay the mortgage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so walk us through a little bit of the career then. So after belly that they sold, I mean, that, that lasted for a little bit and then walk us into the next couple of things you did right after that, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So belly was interesting. We raised $10 million from Andreessen Horowitz, uh, which is wow. unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Were uh, you, were you in those conversations? No, no, not at all. I wish I was like, I would get the updates on the weekly calls about how the rate was going. Um, I do remember by South by Southwest, um, we were, so we had raised the million dollars. We were expanding really quickly. Our sales strategy was get the iPads in the store. So a lot of times we'd incentivize the store to, to use the iPad by giving them a few months free of having the iPad. Of course. So basically it was like a no brainer. They yes. said, oh, you're going to give us an iPad that we can use obviously for the customer loyalty. But then like, if you're the staff, like you can play around with it and you're gonna give us two to three months. So the company right. to buy all those iPads had to burn a lot of money, obviously, but the distribution strategy was working. We were getting in a lot of stores. And so for South by Southwest in Austin, which is a huge startup event, um, we actually were responsible, the Austin team was responsible for throwing parties uh, for these investors that were coming to town for that and basically getting as many iPads and as many of the venues for South by Southwest as possible. So that way when investors came, they would see everything. So um, right. we would have these like private parties for VCs and stuff like that. And I'd get to meet a few of them, but I wasn't in the actual like. Okay. Like, but, but, but right in there though, you're starting to get some experience, rubbing elbows, shaking hands, talking to these guys. You, you, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm learning how to work relationships and all of that. Right. Exactly. Yep. And then it was, it's, I'm like to raise 10 million dollars on Grayson Horowitz. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Hard. I'm guessing, I'm guessing you guys had maybe a s- small little party that night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we actually went to Wahoo Fish Tacos, which was one of our biggest supporters because we were the Austin team. Okay, so cool. We, we went to our Wahoo's party. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay, cool. All right. So then, so then that, what happened there? Yeah. So Belly was, um, so they raised him in and then there's more expansion plans. And there's kind of like an interesting inflection point. I was, I was okay at sales, but I wasn't great. And the other thing was, I, I didn't want to just, I've been doing sales for like five, six months. So imagine just going around knocking on doors, oh. doing this like hustle. Yeah. And so one of the things I joined the startup for was to kind of continue to grow and, and yes. still kind of like expertise. Um, so the options were kind of stay. Um, so Alex, my friend who, who recruited me, uh, was now going to Boston. And then, so, and then the idea was either I would go to something like Houston, Dallas, or another territory and I do see. this. I see. Um, or continue to kind of build out Austin. But 
it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a growth trajectory there. So it was like this really kind of at the time a ridiculous statement slash or request by me. But I but now that we got the ten million dollars, I said, hey, like I want to be moved to like a VP role or a director role or an analyst role or something in like headquarters. And they were kind of like like the people they were hiring for those roles were much more experienced. They had done it other startups, et cetera. And so then it was this kind of weird thing where it was like, okay, well, if he's not going to continue to sell and I'm not going to get promoted, then it's kind of like, we got to. Okay. All right. Yep. So it's kind of like an awkward, like, okay. oh, well. yeah. Yep. So then you're like, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm doing my own thing now. I was, I was adamant after that. I'd been at Deloitte. I'd seen a, a like a growth company, I had read, I started reading a ton of books on startups and I, I was really influenced by the $100 startup and the four hour work week. And I was listening to Tony Robbins podcast and like all these things. Cool. I ended up moving to Boulder and then I started a consulting company. Um, so one of the things that at Deloitte, I had been setting up SAP, which was a large ERP system, right? Okay. And then I had also set up some of the Salesforce for Belly. There was a company called Solidfire in Boulder that needed help setting up NetSuite, which is like a smaller version of it. Was that your first client when you moved back? That one right there? Yeah. Did, you had that one client when you moved back to Boulder? Was that your first client? Yep. Yep. That was, uh, it was a, uh, I was looking for what I wanted to do next. I got introduced to Chuck, who was the recruiter at Solidfire. He said they were looking for kind of like a analyst or like kind of almost a similar role to like what I was looking for in Belly. Yeah. And then I met with the director of finance, Derek Cross in Boulder. And they were setting up NetSuite. And it was a really interesting discussion because he had actually experience with Oracle and setting up ERP systems. So he was looking for more someone to like help with that. And they didn't want to pay the huge consulting rates uh, for NetSuite consultants, which were like $2.5 an hour. Can, can I just ask real quick yeah. for, for clarity here? Now, did you set that up and, and get that first client and your new consulting firm before you moved? Or did you move home without any clients and nothing? And then you had to go get the clients? that's exactly i moved home okay and then i i hustled and i was i was doing all kinds of like little projects i was making like a ninja app game but it's like set the scene it was just like all of a sudden i had like a like i just was going to give myself this bandwidth to go and try to start something all okay. the books i was reading about people starting like consulting companies or starting product companies or all this stuff and i was just like you know what i'm gonna go i'm gonna I'm just a, start something. I'm, I'm gonna do it now did you have did you have a little savings or were you like calling mom and dad going, Hey, can you uh, spot me? Like, I'm just curious. Is that too personal? I, I'm just wondering oh, how, no. how did you, how did you eat? Like what, what, what how, cause you didn't have any clients at first. <laughs> yeah, totally. So the first four or five months in Boulder until I got the client, okay. um, I lived with my parents and then I did have savings. Um, I, was, I was fortunate. Um, and this was actually my dad that did this. I, I was a soccer referee um, in Boulder oh, all through high school and I was okay. a lifeguard. And my parents actually would take half my paycheck, force it to go to some kind of investment. Ah, nice. And my dad actually was, was I don't know how, I don't know if was, he watches a lot of Jim Cramer, but he invested in uh, Apple in 2009. Oh, my. Oh. Like my savings account. And Apple crushed it over the next kind of, this was now 2012. Oh, okay. So, time so okay. I had a little bit of chunk, but I, I moved in with my parents. I could, I okay. still had some spending money. But at the same time, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to try. I was again, 22, I was turned 23. And I was like, is your, try is your mom looking at you? Like, you know, you wouldn't be living. Yeah. <laughs> my mom, like bless her heart. She's like the most supportive person of me. Like she's always in my corner, but I do remember there was like two or three months in she, she, she cried. Cause it was just like, you have this son that graduated top, like very high level of engineering class. He got a great job at Deloitte, and now he's living at home. Trying <laughs> 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 all these projects that aren't working. That's yeah. so good. I can just almost hear her saying, "Can you call Deloitte back? Is there somebody?" <laughs> yeah. Well, that the other thing too. I was actually getting a lot of people still through LinkedIn and then just cool. through referral connections. We're cool, still cool. offering me a lot of like base level jobs that would have paid okay. me basically the same as I was getting at Deloitte or Belly. So I was okay. actually like pushing those off to try and do this. So in my mind, I wasn't that worried about. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So you do consulting. You can now, now this is another key, key point. I think here for the listeners. Yeah. I'm just going to assume for a minute that during this three year gap that you were roughly three years, you were doing the consulting. I think yep. you are just connections, networking, relationships, connections, networking, relationships, boom, boom, boom. You're just knocking those down, building relationships in Boulder during that time. Is that accurate? Yeah, 100%. It was, it was three or four coffee meetings, like, uh, maybe per day. 
yep. Um, yep. At, at week per week. And it was the other thing too. So, so imagine this, so I'm, I'm doing consulting and I'm setting up NetSuite and then Salesforce for SolidFire. And SolidFire turns out to be, SolidFire got $10 million from NEA. And SolidFire sold a NetApp for, I think it was $890 million. Um, at the time, they were around 20, 25 people. I was this kind of consultant. My initial rate was low. So I actually, I thought it was high because I was getting $25 an hour. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was like great because it was like, it was kind of almost the same as like the income I've been before, for the, depending on it was like 40 hours a week. Okay. Um, and then it got bumped to 80. And then for my next clients, so after SolidFire, it was full contact and logarithm with mental solutions. I got bumped to 100 plus. And eventually I was, I was getting more than I was making at Deloitte off of this consultant within like a year, year and a half. And, being, yeah. And just you, by the way, did you, did you have any help, admin help or anything? Or just you running it by yourself? Um, for the first kind of like year and a half, it was me running it by myself. And then I brought on a partner because we got a lot of requests for kind of, this was okay. when HubSpot and inbound marketing were blowing up so a lot of the startups were like how do we do internet marketing how do we use our systems to kind of get leads and stuff from traffic so i brought in steve uh, my partner who, who was able to get a lot of the consulting contracts for internet marketing and marketo and hubspot and other systems that clients were requesting okay cool so you're, you're, you're cruising along you're, you're kicking ass and you're consulting now you're making really good money pretty good yeah. pretty good money for that age right. um and at some point you you meet somebody something happen happens you meet some guys and, you, and, and you're a co-founder at Augur. How, how did that happen yeah so uh through consulting uh so the coffee meetings the other thing too is i would be constantly going and meeting with potential clients and a lot of them were startups yep. so a lot of them were yep. kind of yep. early and what i would do is i would basically refer so they weren't going to be able to pay for consulting services but what i would do is refer smaller apps so like not everyone used salesforce or netsuite but they could be using something like Zero, or they could be using oh. something like TechDrive, CRM, or Base, or, okay. or other apps. So these small apps that I start to use. So I would always refer these apps, um, as well as meet startups, because I knew if they ever raised funding, I, that's how you get potential future clients. So I was meeting with all these small startups. Bingo. Also, it kind of hit me in like two, two and a half years in, that like while I was doing this, like I, I think I was really influenced kind of by these products that I was consulting for. Like they were, like again, SolidFire sold for 890 million. Aventus was growing like crazy. Logarithm was going to go. They back then they were going to try and go public in two years. And I kind of realized like if you really want to build something massive and want, um, you have to own and own like a product, a services-based business. Um, we started trying to hire associates, and that wasn't working. We hired teams in India, which kind of worked for scaling, um, but services-based specific was kind of like you you only get paid when you work. And I was seeing all these startups and products and all these things that were making money without right. kind of like this, that same level of service slash effort. Right. And I think that's a key point right there for the listeners. You're around it, right? You're, you're, you're performing your consulting duties for these companies, for these founders. You're seeing what's happening. You're seeing them sell or go through trans transactions or you know, sell for millions of dollars and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to be, I need to, I need to, I need to be over there with those guys. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And, and the, the thing about NetSuite is it's a, it's a financial accounting system and then also it has a CRM and then Salesforce is kind of getting in customers. So you would see these processes, you see how much they would make. I was getting to see the internals, how much they were spending yeah. on all right. the employees, yeah. how much they, what their margins were. Yes. All these kind of like things that like you don't read about in TechCrunch. Like you're literally seeing the day to day, what the burn is, what the sales are, what the yes. projections are, all of it. And so like I would, and that's actually how people are like, oh, isn't that kind of boring? I thought it was like amazing. Okay. I was constantly being like, how does this all work and how does this operate and all that stuff. And then did you make the decision strategically in your head where you're like, okay, the consulting thing is cool, but I'm gonna eventually connect myself to somebody and I'm gonna we're gonna start something together in the tech space and is that was that your plan oh. yep totally um i started uh, uh one of my friends ben who went to he was a year older than me in high school but he was a great software developer okay we would literally try and um so we use in boulder too and he he uh, was like a vp of engineering for a kind of faster growing company and so we uh we would always like played around with ideas so it was it was constantly like let's, okay. let's build an app let's do things um, but what ended up happening was I met uh, Augur. So I actually met this company that had gone through Techstars and I started getting kind of involved in the, the Techstars program. And what was interesting is they, Augur specifically had two really good developers, but they were not inclined, 
necessarily to sales um, and to kind of more the, the operations and growth of it. They were okay. Okay. really talented engineers. All right. So um, basically they had this really interesting product or this really interesting tech. I thought it was pretty interesting. So I started sending it to kind of my network that I built up saying like, what do you think of this? Just kind of out of curiosity about the company. And the response was overwhelming. Like there was, there was a guy, an uh, investor that tried to buy the tech for like a million dollars straight up. We got like, interest from, from, from some angels that wanted to potentially invest in it. So they asked, the angels in Boulder asked us to sit in their office and kind of build it. And so like all of a sudden I went from kind of like doing these services-based business. So they had really cool tech. The two kind of co-founders wanted to work with me because they thought that I would, which I did, I had the operations and kind of sales skills that would help um, them scale and like sell this. So we basically started working together. We did this for like two or three months and kind of validate what was possible. And they're asking you like, hey man, uh, an angel investor wants to talk to us. Come to the, come to the meeting with us, bro. Come over here. Come, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, I was introducing them to angel investors and okay. then they, okay. they were like, yeah, you should come to those, those meetings with us and like sit there. And then they also got like, they had a bunch of interest from pretty big companies. So like, um, Vanier Media. Um, oh. so I'll tell you about the product a little bit, but like, it was like Ziff Davis, Vanier Media, IMM, these bigger, these bigger identities and publishers were actually like kind of poking around. They ah. All right. They just weren't so they weren't speaking the same language basically. Now at some uh, point, at some point, at some point you're like, Hey guys, um, this is cool, but I need to actually like be on the cap table and you need to write me in for like, we, let's, 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 let's have a little chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, so it was three months of just kind of like vetting each other and seeing like how it was going to go. And then it got to this point where it was like, okay, yeah. it's like this, I, we looked like we could raise money for it. It looks like we had our initial, we had our initial paying customers. And I was like, so I joined as like a one third co-founder. Okay, cool. Well, good for you. I mean, you, I mean, yeah, that, that rightfully so. Right. I mean, that's, that's great. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so now you're, now you're part of the equity. You're part of the cap table. You're part of the, okay. Now you're like, okay, now I'm in, yeah. I'm fine. I'm in and I'm in at a point to where if we make this work, this is going to be my first big payday. That's what you're thinking at this time. I'm, I'm assuming. Yes, totally. I'm, I'm looking at it. Um, I was a little dip. So, uh, this, so I joined a CEO and the CEO, um, and kind of main founder looked at it as like, this was his like baby in price possession. I looked at it more like, okay, let's experiment with this. Let's grow it. Let's see how much value we can create. And like, I, I viewed it more as like, this is going to be like interesting. Okay. Right? I, I, so see. I see. It was, I was, I was, it was, it was very clear that there was, um, we got introduced to Oracle pretty early on okay. and they started the pilot. Um, like I said, uh, Vanier Media and Gary Vanierchuk's yeah. firm, like their CTO, reached out. Um, we had the initial angel investors that were sending us intros, and and, we, and IMM and Boulder immediately started a pilot. Um, so it was kind of this interesting. Great. Like it was it was getting traction, and I'm like, okay, like I think there's something here. Yeah. Let's 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 figure this out. And then uh, we raised. So we had like a first uh, angel investors and term sheet. That ended up falling through, but we ended up getting our, there was another firm that was actually interested at the same time. And then okay. they invested into race 700 K and then we were off to the races. We ended up, um, basically we, there was a CEO that kind of, we added on. So we moved the CEO to CTO, brought on a new CEO who was going to scale it. And then all of a sudden, like within two months of him coming on, he, he sold it for, um, yeah, a lump sum. So it was like very quick. It was a two year time span total. Boom. There you go. Yeah. And they, that, that company sold. You were an equity holder. You got your first big check as a, as a, as a, as a founder. Yep, exactly. And good, then for I started, good, good for you. Congratulations on that. That's a major win, by the way. Good job. Okay. Good job. Good job on your part of target, you know, keeping your eye open, right? I think that you built relationships. You were servicing people as a consultant. You were networking. You had your eye open. You were looking for opportunity. You were hustling. You saw those guys, you're like, hmm, I think they might have something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help these guys right here because this could be something. I mean, great job. Congratulations on that. So then at that point, you, it, it looks like from looking at your, your profile, it looks like you said, okay, cool. I really enjoy the, the investing piece, the, the helping the startup piece, the angel piece. Like, I like all that. I don't know if I want to go run. I don't know if I want to go run another tech company, but I want to, I want to, just like your LinkedIn profile says, I want to build angel groups. Like at some yep. point, at some point you kind of said, okay, I'm going to do this now for a living. Right. Is that, is that what happened? Yep, exactly. Um, so I started like a mini angel group with my roommate at the time. 
So we called it Connect Your Investments, and we were going to go and invest in a few companies around Colorado. Cool. And then I was going to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I was actually really interested on the opposite side. So I think this happens naturally to founders who raise money. They're kind of curious on what the what VCs think and what angels are thinking. Mm-hmm. And so I actually was going to go and potentially work for a VC fund. So I was actually going to be like, okay, now like my next step would be VC related. So I actually spent a lot of time after Augur. I, I spent like a month in Oakland, Airbnb. Okay. I spent some time in Menlo Park, like three weeks in Menlo Park. Okay. kind of thing around there. I went to New York. Um, and so I was kind of like hopping around Airbnb and kind of exploring what options were next. And then I, um, I got uh, Jesse Lawrence in Boulder was running a startup studio called Boulder Bits. And he had this really interesting idea for how to do a fund-to-fund model, which okay. would allow you to crowdfund a VC fund potential. Um, and so we basically started working on that project, which was called Smart Capital. And that seemed like a, a great fit because I was learning all like a ton about VC and how to LP structure works and how the terms work and all of that so it was that's kind of the, the segue from there and smart capital now is your is your baby now as a co-founder i mean that's your it's you and one other co-founder is that right two others jackson and john okay okay yeah. great and and can give us the yeah give us the one minute smart capital overview okay. just sure. yeah yep um so so yeah so angel groups have some like rocky venture club has 200 members 200 plus members. And so when we invest in a deal, um, it's really kind of like herding cats, right? So you wanna basically create what's called a syndicate. So you create an LLC and basically the members will invest into the LLC and they'll do smaller checks. So this allows an angel investor instead of writing like a 100K check to write a 10 or 20 or 30K check and then aggregate it with a bunch of other angels to then invest into the company. So if you're a company, you don't want, you're always warned against having 30 investors on your cap table because when you do anything, you have to get everyone to sign the docs and, and yes. if you're an angel investor, usually you have, that, well, that means you have a high net worth and so you have a lot of times you're in the Bahamas or you're traveling or, and, and hurting those people is tough. So with an LLC and a syndicate, you basically can do one structure and then invest. And these are like micro mini funds. So um, what turned out hard about that is doing it manually. You have to hire service providers like accountant, taxes, lawyers, et cetera. And so what, what Smart Capital ended up turning into was this aggregator to allow these kind of um, syndications to happen and invest, and angel group can invest in the research companies. I see. I see. Okay. Very good. Okay. Yep. That's, how, that's how that ties together. I appreciate you. Okay. Great. All right. And you've had Smart Capital, you've had yeah. smart capital now for two years. Yep. Exactly. Now it says, I love how on your LinkedIn profile it says part-time. <laughs> right. Well, the full-time right now is RBC. So, okay. All right. So RBC is the largest, uh, most active angel group in Colorado. So we Got run it. around and we invest in uh, early stage companies in Colorado. Last year, we invested in 24 companies. We invested five million as a group, and then as a whole, we invested with our partners 60 million in the companies in Colorado. And you know, uh, in 2020. Oops, sorry, go for it. Oh, oh, sorry. I interrupted you. Um, okay. Um, I was going to tell you, I know this really cool growing recruiting firm called RiderFlex. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'm just giving you a hard time. Can I, can I ask you a couple of questions here? For, so advice for listeners. I know that you deal with, you know, you see pitches all the time. You deal with, you deal with founders all the time. And there's a lot of people that listen to our show that, that are trying to start a company or they want to start a company or they got an idea, but they're scared or they don't know where to start. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions around those topics uh, for advice. Sure. Um, how about the first one is when it comes to selecting and picking your co-founders. Yes. What advice would you give somebody that wants to start a business, but really is co-founder dating and wants to, wants to, doesn't want to do it by themselves. What advice would you give that person that's looking for a, a partner? Yeah. So I, I, so I, I see this, uh, go wrong all the time. So I think if, if you're an individual right now and you don't have a co-founder, I think actually by starting and doing the things manually, um, that gets momentum. And then once you show potential traction or show that what you're going to be working on works, you can bring in the, the right partners and co-founders and then kind of coalesce from there. Um, okay. I'm, I'm actually, so the, the advice is always like, go find the founders and then go build stuff. But I actually recommend if you're a solo founder right now and you're really passionate about a certain industry and a certain company, go just start it yourself. And then as you start it, you'll, you'll collect the founders as you go. 
one of the things that would discuss with Augur is, is um, kind of the two co-founders, my two co-founders, Noir and Brandon, um, definitely needed an operations slash more sales marketing person. Mm. But they were able to get it started and get it off the ground. And then as they went, they were able to put in the pieces that was kind of necessary. Right? And then I see that a lot with kind of founders. Now, the, the other thing too is if you do have somebody that your, your complementary skill set, so one sales and marketing and one's kind yeah. of a developer engineer, mm -hmm. and you do are both passionate about the same thing and you go start, that's great. Um, what I see go wrong though is you have two sales and marketing people want to work together. And then that usually goes wrong because roles and responsibilities don't get delineated and you're not filling out kind of your other roles. Um, and so you want to make sure that you as a, if you're starting with somebody that they actually have skill sets that you don't necessarily have as a founder. Um, so right. if you're very technical and engineering focused, you definitely want to sell the marketing person. If you're kind of sell the marketing, you want somebody that's more, can, can more be technical if you're doing software. Do you recommend, you, you know, does everything have to be set up and perfect? And what I mean by that is, do they, do they need a super clean, full-blown operating, operating agreement right when they start? Do they need a super a, a cap table? Do they, do they need to call a lawyer and have them draw up paperwork? Do you, do you coach and, and, and preach that to early co-founders? Or do you just say, yeah, just go for it, and six months later you can do it? What do you, what's your advice there? Yeah, so, so uh, depending on your situation. So I think if you're starting it yourself and you're going forward, then obviously I think you don't need that stuff because you obviously own it and can make all that stuff and you bring on new co-founders. If you're starting it with, it depends on the co-founder you're starting it with. Mm -hmm. if, it's, uh, if you have like a pre-built relationship and I, I always say what you should do is you should talk about what the equity splits are going to be upfront. Okay. And then as it time, like I think too many founders create the C-Corp and go through the legal and all that before it's, it's valid. Uh, so I would definitely make sure that you're you're looking at it valid. But I think what you should do is you should be picking a founder that another founder that you have integrity and trust with. So that way when the conversation comes and when that moment happens, it's kind of like you're on the same page about what that founder is gonna be. So like with Augur, it was very clear. I, I made that clear to the my two co-founders, like if I'm gonna do this with you, then if I do join, it would be as like an equal third co-founder. Mm -hmm. And that made the process when it came, it was no like humongous surprise. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. I did have somebody tell me one time. I heard somebody say, "Hey, look, get, put a few checks in the bank and get some revenue going, and then you can then you can worry about hiring a lawyer to draw up some paperwork." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because you're <laughs> what you don't want to. I think too many people spend a bunch of money to get things started, and they don't realize like you can you can one get things started without that, and then once it's started, then figure that stuff out. Okay. Very good. All right. And then how about on the topic of pitching? Right. I know. I know. Like. You probably, I bet when you, you, you probably just go to dinner at Boulder and, or Denver and somebody's like, there's Paul Foley. Let's pitch him on something. Let's pitch him on the <laughs> idea we have right, right now. Let's pitch him right now. I mean, you've seen a million pitches, right? Uh, how about just, and I know you could do a full-blown podcast on just this topic, but how about just a couple of, you know, pieces of advice around, look, if, you, if you're going to pitch an investor, do these three things for sure, or give me something high level advice there. Yeah. Um, so I would, so we actually have a class on this in RBC every month we have a pitch Academy. It's five hours long. So that's, great. it's um, great. We, we find, that's actually the biggest, we find a lot of good companies um, who are actually founders are well-spoken give really crappy pitches because they don't know what investors are, are looking for. Do they have to uh, pay? Do you have to pay to, do you have to pay to pitch? How does that work? Um, so if you're, if you're just for education purposes, then yes, if you're going to pitch the group. So if you're going to pitch RBC, then uh, we give you the training free because we want you when you, oh. it's basically the week before the forms. So you'll take this five hour training, we'll tell you exactly what the investors are looking for. And then it's up to the founders to perfect their pitch for the next week where they're gonna actually pitch oh. something, two, two or three forms and each form has like 20 to 30 angels. Okay, oh, I did, oh, that's great. Okay, by the way, how do they, what do they just go on Rocky Ventures Club website and that's on there? If they want, if somebody listening yep. to this. And then okay. it's under Entrepreneurs Pitch Academy. Great, thank you. Okay, so. Yeah. So, so top advice for, for people that are giving pitches. I, I, I'm sure you could talk about this for hours, but what do you want to share? <laughs> sure. So the, the big thing is, is uh, so the problem solution, those are like obvious, um, and then traction and then exit strategy. So I think where most founders don't do well is on that exit strategy and the traction. Part. Uh, so I think a lot of founders are like, here's this huge problem. And we had this idea for a solution um, where we find companies fall on their face is in the traction slide. So showing that they're able to execute and build a solution for the problem, as well as on the industry. So I think a lot of people get confused when they pitch angel investors and VCs 
when someone invests in you, uh, they want their money back with a return. So the the idea, so this it's great that you have a problem, a solution, you're passionate, but you also have to like make it believable that you're gonna execute on it and also tell them what your exit strategy is and how you're gonna think about it. And most founders do terrible at that. I see. Um, and so the, the advice we always give is when you're, so one of the other things with Augur that I was like aware of is we, we actually got the a million dollar offer for the tech like pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, we started looking at multiples of what companies that were doing our similar products were getting funding for as well as what they were exiting for. And so we were able to kind of like know that a lot of companies were getting bought um, for like between this 10 to a hundred million dollar amount. There was, there was a few exits like right when we were getting starting to gain traction for around 50. Okay. And so we knew that was probably the like target that we could go for. And like, yes, you can go for the billion dollar and the huge exit and, and be the Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Also like $50 million as, as like a younger founder or for anyone really is absolutely life changing. Okay. And so I think a lot of people don't, they'll, they'll say the big vision and we're going to be a billion dollar company, but you want to always have optionality where it's like, we know this is an off ramp at 10 or 20 million. We know this is an off ramp at a hundred million. We know I this see. is an off ramp. 250 and then if it all goes well we'll go public at 500 million plus i see okay i see great that is great that is great information thank you for sharing that can i ask two questions on the trend on the on the traction part does that traction does that traction have to include hey here's how much revenue i mean are you looking for early revenue right there does the traction need to include revenue Think about it like this. Uh, think about it like you have to make it believable. So if like Elon Musk walks in a room and says, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna send people to space, um, he's probably gonna get money because people will think he's able to execute on that. Okay. Um, right? Uh, if you're a first time founder, then I think you need some kind of level of traction to make okay. it believable, right? Okay. So people are just looking for do, like obviously the problem and solutions exist and I think everyone, every good investor realizes that. But the the where you weed it out is what teams are going to be able to actually execute mm-hmm. it. I love that. I love that, Paul. Thank you for sharing that. And then on the exit, does the exit have to include a five-year financial blown-out model where it's showing EBITDA over five years? And right here's where we're going to sell. Like, does it have to be that specific? I actually think uh, financial projections are. I'm I'm different than some VCs. I actually think financial projections are extremely telling, not because they're accurate, but it's how the founder thinks about the company. So one of the first things I ask a founder to send me is their financial projections. It's very telling to me if uh, they don't have it. And I'm, I'm kind of like, so I'm going to give you money and hope you do well with it. Like that would be like getting in a boat and they don't have a map. And you're kind of like, so we think we're going to cross the ocean, but we have no idea where we're going or how we're going to get there. It's going right? really, to be really fun though. Come on, let's go. Yeah, exactly. We know it's there. We know it'll be fine. Just jump on. <laughs> Okay. Very good. I appreciate you. Okay. All right. And then um, thank you for that. that was great info around pitching. Just, I know we're almost out of time. How about cash raising? What, 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 what big advice do you have for that person sitting in front of that angel investor for the first dinner and they're trying to come up with the balls to ask for $500,000? What, what advice do you, you want to give that person? I, I, so imagine going in when you're, raising money imagine going into a conversation and saying hey this is a way we're going to make you like not only get to the goal this is what you should be caring a lot of angels will invest in this sector they'll care about getting to the goal so if it's life sciences they'll care about changing the world in a positive way but it's also like we're going to change the world in a positive way and we're going to make you money in the process and if you can come in there that's why financial projections i think are good as well as your mindset around it if you're coming in there and being like we're going to we're going to do we're going to solve this big problem and we're going to make money together and that's how you're framing it and you're coming across that confidently, then I think like a lot of people will be willing to give you money. I think if you're, you're, if you're timid or you're unsure if this is going to work, you should try to figure out what the assumptions are that are like limiting that. But like the founders that I love are just like, here's a huge problem. We know it's a problem. We start executing on it. We think this is going to be big. Here's, you could just feel it. You just feel, you know, they know what they're doing. You know, they think that this is going to be big. You know, they're going to execute on it. And you know that if you give them your money, there's, there's a, it's obviously risky, but there's a chance that they're going to be able to return that at, at a large rate. And so those are the kind of founders you want. Great, great, great. Okay, cool. Last, last, uh, last two questions. I'll make it fast. Do yep. you think, do you think all, all these startups should use incubators and accelerators either, either, or, or one of the two should, should, should they be focused on trying to get in one of those or what's your advice there? 
Um, so the other thing too, I'll say this, uh, I think a lot of companies aren't ready or, or shouldn't be raising funding. I think it got sexy to raise funding. I think that was kind of blown up in the media. I think actually a lot of businesses should, should look, really look at um, models that, hey, maybe this makes sense to just do a normal growth like without that. I think you should really understand that first. And then with accelerators, I, I, I highly recommend to founders that are, are going to be on the VC track and their bundles make sense to apply to an accelerator, I think they're extremely helpful. Um, I have seen, especially in kind of YC and Techstars Network, founders trying to apply just because they want the title or the label, and they're not in it because they're building, they're actually building a business. Ah. And I think, I think the accelerators have caught on to that, especially in the last few years. I think they understand that like, if you get a YC title, you're going to have more opportunities in life. So they're kind of, they, I think the accelerators, the good accelerators are really kind of wary of that. And I would highly recommend to a founder not to just try and get the title. Okay. It's not gonna end well. Okay, and uh, how about this? All in versus part-time. And what I mean by, you know, I mean, so many people, they, they don't have enough savings to quit their job yet. So they kind of have to start part-time, but do you just, what do you recommend? Go for it, all in or? It, it depends on your situation. So like um, one of the things that I, like I'm doing capital part-time. One of the things that I find interesting is uh, I don't necessarily, it as like a huge market um so like right now for our initial customer base like it's fine if i operate that part-time if we raise money or when hyperscale with it then yeah i'd have to join that full-time but right now it's not necessary um i think for raising capital when you when you start getting a bunch of customers and you start raising and, and you're taking other people's yeah. money i think Thanks. full-time is 100 percent necessary so i think if you have like a lifestyle business or cash flowing business um, or something like that then there's there's no reason but as soon as you raise or looking to expand and raise fast then yeah that's okay. Great. Last question is this, what's Paul's core purpose in life? If he had to put it in a sentence and you just had a reflective moment where you're like, yeah, what is my core purpose in life? How would you describe it? Oh, I think it, I think it has to change and evolve. Cause I think, I think it's, uh, I think you're going to be interested at things at different times. Like right now I'm really excited about investing in Colorado companies. Like I'm from Colorado. It's really cool to see the economic growth. It's awesome to be in Denver and see how many people are here and, and kind of building that out. So like right now, it's definitely investing and helping early stage companies in Colorado. And then I think eventually, however long, there's, it's gonna switch. And then it's gonna be, I feel like I've accomplished that or I feel like I hit the metrics or the goals. And then I think it's something new. Like I think the people that went to the moon, like you read about them kind of getting depressed because they come back and they don't have another purpose or another goal. Right. And I think you gotta, gotta keep kind of setting those and be really excited about something at that time. Paul, I'm really excited about getting just out of out of a corporate job. That was <laughs> three years I did my consulting company. Then it right. was I want to build a tech company, and then it was I want to invest in companies. And, yeah. Well, I love what you're doing for Colorado. By the way, love it, love it, love everything you're doing. Um, and uh, you have a great reputation, huge following. Um, congratulations on everything you're doing at Rocky's Ventures Club, Rocky Ventures Club, and Smart Capital. The Riderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.